Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Dose Dental Podcast with your host, myself, Siraj Shah. The focus of this podcast is to share undergraduate dental school experiences from dental students and dental professionals through valuable discussions. We hope that through these discussions, we can inspire and provide answers to your questions or challenges you may face on your own pre-dental journey. We are beyond excited to have Dr. Diana Kim as our guest today. Dr. Kim graduated from Northeastern University in 2017 with her bachelor's degree in biology and a minor in health science, and recently received her doctorate of dental surgery degree from Stony Brook University School of Dental Medicine. During her undergraduate years, she was the founder of her university's Global Medical Brigades chapter, the artistic director for an on-campus dance troupe called Kinematics, and was a laboratory administrator and patient coordinator with a dental implant company named Bicon Dental Implants. In dental school, Dr. Kim was an associate member on the national level for the American Student Dental Association. She was the president of the Academy of General Dentistry and was a student representative for dental school's alumni board. Dr. Kim has been honored as a scholarship recipient for the Dental Trade Alliance Foundation in 2020 and for the Pierre Fichard Academy in 2021. Dr. Kim is now completing her general practice residency at Philadelphia VA Medical Center in Pennsylvania. Dr. Kim, we are so excited to have you join us on the podcast. Uh, how are you doing and how is the start of your residency be treating you? Yes. Hi. Thank you so much for the wonderful introduction. I love that. Um, I'm very excited to be here. In terms of residency, it's definitely an adjustment, right? So I just finished my, I believe, sixth or seventh week, and it's very different from dental school. And it's definitely the real world dentistry that I feel like a lot of dental students kind of don't get experience with because in dental school, everyone is so focused on being a perfectionist, right? Like you're measuring millimeters, everything like that. And I think there's so much more to dentistry. So I'm going to say that it's just been an adjustment for sure. And just kind of using this month to figure out the groove of things and, you know, how I plan on practicing. Yeah. So again, welcome to the podcast. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, like where you're from, like where you grew up, so our audience gets a better understanding of like who you are. Sure, absolutely. So I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. I went to high school in Brooklyn Tech, the biggest high school in the U.S., I believe. So um, that's kind of my background. Like you mentioned, I went to Boston um, at Northeastern University. And, you know, I think something that's important to me is kind of the extracurricular activities and things like that. I don't think that I was necessarily like a strong academic applicant, but I feel like all of those things combined kind of got me to where I am right now. Other than that, I love to dance. Um, so that's kind of been my de-stress method throughout college, dental school and whatnot. And I'm really big on like mentoring as well. That's something that I'm really passionate about as well. Awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, that sounds amazing. I cannot wait to, you know, dive into all these aspects of, you know, who you are and, you know, your journey and all these things. Um, but first, you know, I got to ask you the question, uh, you know, every dental student, dental professional has like the reasoning for why they, you know, chose to pursue this field. So I was wondering, uh, you know, what is your why? What ignited that spark in you and motivated you to, to get you, you know, where you are today? Yeah, sure. So I actually started at Northeastern University as a physical therapy major. And my family has a couple of friends who are dentists, and I always kind of admired and respected their field. And I kind of saw the lifestyle that they've had. They've always kind of had a really good balance between family and career. And that's something that I was kind of thinking about. Um, but I ended up getting into the six year doctorate of physical therapy program at Northeastern, which was like super cool, but I had no idea what I was getting myself into, to be honest. Um, and it was kind of like a gut feeling that physical therapy was not for me. Um, it's kind of embarrassing to even say this, but like I set up a shadowing opportunity with a physical therapist just to kind of dig deep. 
and I like didn't even go like I know that sounds so bad but like I think reflecting now upon like the freshman year in college Diana I like had no passion to like do the homework that was assigned to me like I didn't really know why I was there I think I just kind of like clicked a checkbox that says physical therapy and it like obviously reflecting on it that is not the best way of being a student um but those things kind of accumulated and I realized that my passion didn't really lie within physical therapy um I knew I wanted to be in the healthcare field for sure in Brooklyn Tech we have like bio majors so we took orgo and anatomy and things like that um but I think to me it's kind of through shadowing through doing a summer program as a prudential that's kind of where it was really solidified for me yeah you know, I think you, what your story kind of embodies, like what everyone kind of fears, like they have to get it figured out by this kind of day, like before they even get to college. I know there's like some programs, um, you know, like there's a dental program, the seven year, uh, eight year, I think they're both eight year, eight year meta dental program. They're all kind of the same. So um, it's very, it's like comforting to know that you don't have to have it figured out by the time you get to college, you know, you still have a little bit of time, you know, college is like that time to to grow and like figure out what you want to do, you know? Um, so can you like touch a little bit on your undergraduate experience? Like, um, you know, how you kind of solidified your pursuit of dentistry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. So when I came in as a physical therapy major, I was, you know, still taking courses that were considered prerequisites towards dentistry. So it's not like a complete waste of time, if that makes sense. Um, but I slowly started to move away from physical therapy and I changed majors to biology. Um, I decided to pursue a health science minor, which kind of had courses like um, community and public health and like public policy classes. And those types of courses were always something that I was really interested in. Um, so I was able to transform that into a minor. Um, so that kind of goes into my extracurriculars as well, you know, like health disparities and doing volunteer work. So it all kind of, kind of came together. Um, in terms of college, I think I ended up taking a gap year. So that's something that's really important to kind of note um, because I, I feel like when you're not ready to apply and you're kind of forcing yourself, sometimes people aren't as successful as they hope to be. So I kind of wanted to give myself enough time to study for the DAT and apply with, with a whole couple of months to only dedicate towards the application as opposed to dividing my time between studying and also personal statement and also getting letters of rec like to me that was a little bit too much all at once so i decided to take the det in 2016 and then i applied in 2017 to get into school 2018 so i definitely took my time with that um and again I don't think academics were definitely the reason why I got into dental school, but I think it's the extracurriculars that really helped out for me. Yeah. So you yourself went from, you know, like uh, a physical therapy track to pre-dental and, you know, there's a lot of other students that go from medical to dental uh, during undergrad. So like, what was the best way and how did you kind of organize your, you know, your classwork, your coursework and kind of your activities and stuff? So how'd you kind of go about, you know, what was your experience of transferring to the to pre-dental track? Like, what was that like for you? Yeah, so I think that one of the most important things is to be strategic throughout the entire dental school process. Um, a lot of people feel like there's so much stress associated with it, and there is definitely, but there's some things that you can implement. Um, in terms of coursework, I always really like to emphasize the fact that sometimes when people take one class, it takes, and you have only like three exams, for example, right? It takes the first exam to figure out how you're professor asks questions and then you know 
changing your study schedule and changing those things. And then by the time you're at your midterm and then you've already had a bad grade. So there's not quite enough time to kind of figure things out. Um, and so one thing that I, I started doing during my third and fourth year was taking class, taking upper level courses in biology from professors that I had taken courses from before. Obviously, that's not always possible, but that's something that really helped um, because I already knew how this professor was going to be, you know, asking questions. And I already felt comfortable going to office hours, for example. So I always kind of encourage if you have the ability to take an upper level course, like taking a biochem and a microbiome with the same professor, I always like to tell credential students to do that because I think that is building a relationship and then you ask them for an evaluation or a letter of rec and so like it all kind of comes together um so that i think is really helpful the other thing is kind of opening as many doors as possible but also thinking about it as not just choosing coursework based on the prereqs but also choosing the coursework that might make you a successful dental student right so pathology I don't think it's actually like a prerequisite for any of the courses or any schools, but I think that taking pathology would have helped me. Taking histology would have helped me, not just the bare minimum of taking anatomy, biochem or whatever it is. So I think that changing your mindset from being like, what do I have to do to get into dental school? And changing it more towards what can I do now to prepare myself to be a successful dental student is kind of the better way to look at coursework in undergrad. I know, um, you know, even before I schedule my courses, I always look at like rate my professor, yes. those kind of those kind of things to know that if your professor is really, you know, strict on certain coursework and to know like if you can, um, you know, if you have to take a professor for a certain course, that's not the best. Mm -hmm. And you can also lead with other courses, like you can choose professors that are a little more easier to kind of balance your workload. So just things to consider, I feel like, when you're registering for classes. Um, so that can also be a hurdle. Um, so did you have like any other major hurdles you have to face during your undergraduate career? Like, I don't know, academics or just like balancing life and and um, the books and kind of just maintaining your, your pursuit of dentistry? Yeah, I think for me, the biggest hurdle was the mathematical calculation of having, I think, two pretty bad semesters at the beginning so i had two semesters i think the the first two that pretty much kind of made it mathematically impossible for me to like have a 4.0 gpa right so it took a lot of strategic planning on my part in order to get my gpa up because if you think about it it's always going to be like the average of the semesters so like you can't always go as high as like you you know every pre-dental student wants to to have a 3.9 for example so i think in undergrad my biggest hurdle was doing well in those like orgo one class and biochem you know those are the ones that were really difficult especially i mean i know the dat talks about like ecology and plant biology and stuff like that like i did pretty poorly in some of these classes that i knew were going to be very important um, and to combat that, for example, I kind of had to either take upper level courses to kind of show that like, you know, I may have not gotten the best score in ecology 101, but I did way better in like molecular cell bio, for example, that's one. The other thing for orgo is I just kind of really focus on the DAT to get a really good orgo score so that I can reflect on that during an interview if that's what's being asked, like, yes. I didn't do that hot in Orgo one, but as you can see, like on my DAT section, like that just shows that I learned the material. Maybe it'd be like 
two, three years later, but just so that they're aware that that's kind of, you know, like there was some improvement to be done. Um, calc also, like I didn't do that well in Calc 1. I did really well in Calc 2. And I actually asked that professor to write me a letter of recommendation talking about the improvement that I've done from Calc 1 to Calc 2. So everything to me was a little bit more strategic in terms of letters of, of rec and all of that com coming together. And I think like, um, um, you know, taking a course, I lost my train of thought real quick. Um, what was it? Oh, um, you may struggle in a few courses, but I feel like even if your GPA is not that high, um, there's a reason why everyone takes these DAT exams, these MCATs or whatever, whatever admissions test it is to get into graduate school. There's a reason why they take that. So in case, you know, you don't do the best during one of these uh, prereq courses, you can show the admissions committees that you did really well and you struggled and you like studied really hard and got a better score. Um, and I feel like many people don't think about that, but you know, even if you did it bad in Orgo, you got to retake it, you do better. Maybe even like TA the course. Like if you TA the course, maybe you can learn better by teaching other people. So, so mm -hmm. yeah, I think that's just like some things that pre want to like look out for. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So um, Dr. Kim, can you just walk us through the dental school application itself? Like uh, maybe even your, some of your personal experiences with the DAT, uh, personal statement, you know, actually writing the application, stuff like that. Yeah, so um, I think the timeline part is very important, right? So a lot of pre-dental students are like super adamant on not taking gap years for, you know, like no one wants to wait a whole year, that sort of thing. So I was the same way. I started the process January of the year that I thought I was going to apply. And at that point, I needed to take the DAT. I needed to do all, all of everything to get all that together. And I did. But I almost kind of like half did it like I was just I like knew it in my heart that I was like not ready, but I just was so stubborn and I was like, no, I'm going to try I'm going to keep going, you know, um, and then so I studied for the DAT for about two, three months, and I realized like I didn't have a personal statement at that point and I would kind of have to like whip something up and to me that didn't feel satisfying. So even though I went through all of the you know, the checklists of asking for letters of rec, like I still had that, which was good. Um, but then I decided not to apply. So I was happy with the DAT score that I got that um, year. And then I spent the whole next year while I was during, you know, graduating and whatnot. And that's when I really kind of did everything the right way. Um, so it was still helpful for me to start asking for letters of rec and start thinking about everything, start writing the application blurbs, you know, like every single activity that you've done, I started doing that, but then it gave me a, like the, the breathing room for the whole next year to actually kind of perfect it. So this is kind of saying like, for those people who are either their parents are like, no, you have to apply now, or are really adamant about applying, sometimes you have to really kind of reflect and kind of have that intuition of whether like this is the cycle for you, because it worked out for me the following cycle. And I always think about this now, um, if I had applied before, then I would have been in the class above and I feel like my class is so, so much better. You know what I mean? Like I always, I think everything does happen for a reason. Um, I think just to not be so stubborn as to apply when, you know, you personally are not ready is something that I learned throughout that application. Um, in terms of personal statement, I think for me, I knew what I wanted to write about. I didn't know how to put it on paper. Um, and I think the biggest thing is not just answering why dentistry. I think it's what's unique about you. 
Um, so for me, for example, I grew up in Uzbekistan and I speak Russian. And that's something that was always, you know, like icebreaker time, two truths and a lie. Like that was always something that was really unique and memorable about me. Um, and so I was kind of able to connect my experience in like a third world country and the healthcare that I saw there to my experiences with global medical brigades and how I saw myself in those um, little kids that I saw in Panama. Um, and then somehow, you know, you, you have to kind of make it all connect. And I think that I was able to do that by showcasing one unique thing about me and like a really big extracurricular global medical brigades that I that was really important to me. Um, so between those things and, a, and the physical therapy aspects of things, those were like, I want to say the big three topics, um, switching majors, you know, my unique background and global medical medical brigades. Those were my three topics that I was able to kind of piece together in, in my personal statement. And I think you said that you founded that chapter at your school, right? So can you touch a little bit upon that? I'm kind of interested in hearing about that because I know at our school we have VAW, which is kind of, I don't know if it's similar, but mm -hmm. I went on the trip personally and I just want to hear, you know, what your experience was like. I think going on these international trips, I think it's something like, it's a had to be there moment. Like it's difficult to explain to people the effect that it has on you unless someone else has been there or has done similar work. Um, so I actually had a medical school friend who went on global brigades through Brooklyn College and he was telling me everything about it. And I was like, I want to do that. Like, and we didn't have a chapter. Um, I'm very, I like all that like organizational type of stuff. So I wanted to start the chapter and it was very difficult. And I think the first year we wanted to go, first of all, there was a lot of like safety concerns with going to a foreign country. Um, so we couldn't recruit enough volunteers. We couldn't get enough like healthcare professionals to come with us. So the first year was kind of like my application cycle. I like half did it, but it helped me like to do it for real the following year. Um, so after we founded it, we actually ended up bringing 35 volunteers to Panama. So we spent three days in, you know, like a school setting up the clinic. So I, I was kind of, you know, delegating who was going to be at which station, that sort of thing. So like, love that. Um, and a lot of the volunteers are actually like doctors, PAs, dentists now. So it's like, it's, it's really nice to have that community. Um, but more importantly, you know, there was also a public health aspect. So we were physically building latrines and, you know, as cool as this experience was, I think it's less so about what you do. It's more so about how you explain it on your application, right? So you don't have to go to Panama and build latrines in order to get into dental school. You can do anything else that floats your boat that you have passion for, but it's more importantly, the language, the sentences that you use to describe it um, and the way that you reflect on it so that you don't just to say like, I sterilized dental insurance or I did this and this. It's more like a little bit more, a little bit more reflective, a little bit more about how you, what you learned, what skills you learned throughout that experience. So I'm like, huge on not doing research just to do it or not doing outreach just to do it, but more so doing what you want to do, but then taking the real time to like explain it in a way that is very reflective. Yeah. And that kind of follows like the whole, like, you know, do a few things really, really well rather than like a bunch of things. Mm -hmm. 
like just to do them um yeah like true even like in high school applications any any kind of application i feel like if you if you if you show them they have an actual passion for it then they'll actually take it to heart instead of just being okay cool so like what'd you do about it and you can really feel it i think some people are like oh like i did 20 hours of like whatever volunteer work but then like if i ask a pre-dental student about it like oh tell me more about this like you can see passion versus like, yeah, I did it just to do it. Like to me, that part is really important. Yeah. 100%. 100%. Um, so I wanted to kind of go back to your gap year. Um, so like a lot of people have this notion, they're surrounded by all these pre-dental students. So like they're all applying this in this three year, essentially three year cycle, like three year, um, three years to build, build up your application and apply mm-hmm. like in June or whatever. And a lot of people get stuck in that, but it sounds like you didn't get stuck in that. Like you had that, you had that mature, I guess, maturation. You're mature enough to like understand that you need more time yourself. Yeah. Um, so what's some advice to some students that you think that um, could benefit from like a gap year? What was like your experience and how'd you, I don't know, like how'd you strengthen your application? So I would say that I was very lucky. I went to Northeastern University and we have a co-op program. So instead of applying or instead of graduating in four years, we actually graduate in five years. So if you think about it, plus my gap year, I've actually been two years out of, you know, between that time. Um, And so during the co-op, basically what it is, is it's six months of you being placed at an internship with, with in whatever field. And you're getting paid and there's no homework. There's no exams. Like it's, it's amazing. Um, and you get a real life experience of knowing what it's like to work in that field. So I had friends who were, you know, engineers or, you know, they were actually like in graphic design. So they like worked at different companies in Boston. Like that was really good for me. So I worked at that dental implant company and it was six months. It paid really well. I got a lot of experience, clinical, administrative, all of that. And then I became part-time and then I eventually turned that into a full-time position that I did during my gap year. So one of the things that I will say in terms of advice on the gap year is people feel like during the gap year, you have to do something clinical. Like people think that that's what dental schools are looking for, but knowing everything that I know now from dental school, I actually think that people need to focus on communication skills, one, public speaking skills, two, and administrative things. Um, Because when you're a dental student, like you're still calling your patients most times, right? I'm sure there's a handful of schools that like schedule patients for you or whatever, but you're still calling patients. So if you're like really nervous about talking to patients on the phone, or if you're not comfortable, you know, treatment planning and explaining things to people from a communication standpoint, then you are already not going to be as successful as you can possibly be in dental school, right? So through my gap year, I was doing like basically front desk. I was scheduling patients, taking payments, invoicing, that sort of stuff. That was not clinical technically, but it taught me the insurance side of things. It taught me how to deal with really impatient patients who are yelling at you and, you know, like, so you have to pay like I, you know, and you, you learn those skills. And that to me is very valuable. Um, obviously doing the assisting in a clinical setting is great also, but I think a lot of people struggle third and fourth year with the administrative stuff. Like how do I organize my roster full of like 40 patients? 
And I kind of had a system because that's kind of a system that I was using when I was scheduling patients before, you know, so I think every experience kind of fits into it like a puzzle. Um, so pre-dental students, I guess you shouldn't be focused too much on just looking for clinical shadowing experiences because you can get a lot from being an admin, a front desk, um, you know, insurance part of things or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I work in an office too. And, uh, you know, like more times than one than none, there's like administrative, like people, the ladies at the front desk will come back and complain about patients, like yelling at them and stuff. I'm like, oh. in my head, I'm like, thank God I don't have to deal with that. But on the other side, I'm like, you will, they, they, I know, but like they ask me, sometimes patients ask me like, so is my insurance going to cover this? I'm like, uh, I have no idea. And even the doctor like doesn't know. And I was like, I feel like we should know some of these things so that maybe we can tell them if it's a positive, honest answer that they'll feel a little bit better in that situation. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's times where like, I'm like, I kind of wish I knew a little bit more of the administrative side, just so, mm-hmm. you know, it's not just clinical based and I know it's going to help me in the future. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. yeah, I was going to say in dental school, people think that you're just a student. You're also like the front desk. You are the secretary. That's also faxing the medical consults. You're yeah. also your own lab assistant. Cause you're pouring up your own models. Like you are playing all of those things. So it's really nice if whatever job you have, let's say you have an assisting job, right? You can also be like, oh, hey, like I'm curious about how you go about sterilizing or, hey, can I get cross-trained at the front desk and maybe pick up the phone once in a while, like just to get yourself comfortable with that um, because that would help a lot, yeah. Yeah, so uh, let's talk a little bit about your interview process, right? So I wanted to hear a little bit about, you you know, how your interview experience was and you know how, what, how'd you choose which schools to attend and uh and apply to yeah no absolutely i think the real okay so i think a lot of pre students have this thought like okay i want to get as many interviews before december 1st and then i'll make my decision and like that's great what i found especially for me was the acceptances did not come in the most convenient way possible like yes i got a couple of acceptances december 1st i did I put down a deposit? Um, yes, I put down a deposit for one of like the three schools that I heard back from. And then as soon as I put down that deposit, I got an interview to a different school. And so like the way it works is like, you're never going to have like all the cards, like here are six schools that are accepting you. Like now you choose. The reality is you just say no to this school. You just say yes to this school. But then your first choice is going to be like, oh, in a month you have an interview. So I think people need to be prepared to make those decisions. And if necessary, drop deposits as you go. Like I ended up putting down three deposits. And from a financial standpoint, it really sucked because Stony Brooks is was like 350 at the time, which is like nothing compared to BU, which is like, I believe 2,500, something like that, right? Um, But you have to do that, right? Like you're not going to be like, no, no, be you. Like I'm going to wait for my, for Penn to get back to me. Like, no, because at that point you just have to make those decisions as they come along. Um, So for me, I was kind of between two very expensive schools. Um, One in an area that I would live in. The other one would be like very much out of my comfort zone. It was on the West Coast Um, and then Stony Brook. So I did the summer dental program at Stony Brook. So I was a little bit more familiar with faculty, you know, upperclassmen and kind of there's definitely a lot of benefits to having a lower tuition. Um, With all that being said, like I do think that I made the 
best decision for me during that time because I think there are pros and cons to all of those things. But coming out with less loans, I feel like was so much more important to me than the things that you know I was able to get from those schools. Because at the end of the day, yes, it's all about what school offers you. I just found a lot of time dental students don't actually take advantage of everything that's being offered, right? So you're, you know, a lot of people make decisions based on like, oh, this person, this place doesn't have as much research. But I feel like if research is so, so important to you, there is going to be a research opportunity. You may have to work a little bit harder for it, but I think all opportunities are there for people, regardless of what school you go to. Um, so that's kind of where I, I fell in. I wanted to do the, like the clinical aspects. I wanted to be a little bit closer to home. Um, and the tuition is like way, way less at Stony Brook. So, yeah. And, um, you know, the second part of getting an acceptance is like the interview part. Mm -hmm, um, yeah. And this all goes back to like the administration side, like it kind of start from there, you start building up your ability to speak to people, okay. ability to connect to like your interviewer. Um, so I just wanted to ask, like, how was your interview experience? Like, did you um, like prepare rigorously for it? Did you just kind of go in there knowing, knowing what you know and just okay. being yourself? Yeah. So I think a couple of things, and I already started telling some of the people that I like work with. I think once you apply to the time that you get your first interview, people are like sitting and waiting and waiting and waiting. But I actually think that the best thing to do is already start figuring out your interviewing situation. Like pretend, I also believe in like manifesting and stuff like that. So I think that students should start preparing for interviews as if they already got this interview. Because what happens, especially when it becomes after December 1st, like before December 1st, you got an interview in September and they're like, hey, like come in end of October. So you have a month to prepare, great. But if it's in December, January, February, it's more like, hey, can you come tomorrow? And you're like, what? Like, I don't have enough time to prepare, but you would be crazy to say no to that interview, right? So this like, anxiousness and the nervousness of waiting can be so much better if you just start very casually looking into things writing things out so what I did was I looked up there's a bunch of like different interview questions everywhere so I would just answer them in paragraph form and I would bold the things that I definitely wanted to visually like remember to say um, that way, it's not like you're not memorizing word for word what you're going to say when they ask you why dentistry, but you're going to remember like, oh, I want to talk about this. I want to talk about this and this. Right. And then everything else come out, comes out a little bit smoother. So I would say one, I would say start preparing as if you have all 16 interviews lined up so that you're more prepared to talking to dental students at those schools. Um, at Stony Brook, for example, we have our third and fourth years. So the second years are doing the school tours and then the third and fourth years are actually interviewing and we actually write an evaluation, you know? So knowing as many dental students as possible is going to help a lot. And those are actually going to be the people who are going to be partially evaluating you in some form or another, you know? Um, so talking to dental students, that's really important. Um, and just answering as many questions as possible in paragraph form, like on a Google doc and printing things out and just 
talking to yourself, you know, like if you're bored, just asking yourself questions and pretending to answer them in a really good way. Um, so the public speaking aspect of things is also going to come into play as well. Um, and then I think one more thing is trying really hard not to get jaded by the interview experience. I felt like the first interview, I was super excited. I was super passionate. And by the sixth interview, um, I, I had six. By the sixth one, I was like kind of more mellow. And I feel like that was the school that didn't really feel the fire, the passion that I really wanted to go to that school. And that's not because there wasn't. I was just tired of interviewing. So just kind of not getting to that point where you're tired of answering questions because you can also see that. Yeah, that's a, that's also a really good point. Like um, maybe that mental fatigue with answering the same questions over and over again, I guess something you have to overcome, you know, when I do get to, when we do get to that point, you know, like something we got to keep in mind that you get, it's not like a big deal, but it can definitely sway some of your dental school applications or acceptances, uh, you know, one way or another, but so now you have your acceptances, right? And um, so what, what factors kind of went into, you know, choosing Stony Brook as the best school for you? I want to kind of hear a little bit about, you know, what highlighted the school that you really fell in love with and, um, you know, why ultimately ultimately decided to, to come here. Yeah, I think for me, knowing some upperclassmen, that was something that was kind of important to me. I got a chance to meet a bunch of them during the program. And I know that it's kind of important to know some people. Those are the people that are going to kind of help you through. Um, digital dentistry was something that's really important to me. And I knew that Stony Brook kind of had that, um, as well as the clinical skills. Um, our school is very small. So Stony Brook, we had 46 people. And coming from Brooklyn Tech, which had like literally 1,400 in my class only, all throughout high school, right? I was really used to that big class environment. I thought, you know, I wouldn't like it at first, but I think that's something that I, I really enjoyed having for four years. And then the other thing is the medical school um, during the first year where with the med students. So I actually made a lot of med student friends who are now in Philly with me too. And you know, like that kind of expands the network. So you're not only just hanging out with the same 46 students from Stony Brook. Um, tuition, I would say was a big thing, like I said, um, but you know, it's kind of a gut feeling. Like I could see myself going there and sometimes you, I like did not see myself going to Arizona, even though I do think that clinically I probably would have like graduated with more clinical experience. But what I got from Stony Brook was qualitative experiences that I can't describe. Like I can text some of my professors from there and be like, hey, I don't know what to do. And those are relationships and mentorships that I was able to get because we're such a small class size and those opportunities were there for me, yeah. Yeah, no, that's great. And I think, um, you know, I think Stony Brook and Harvard, I believe are like the smallest class sizes. I know Buffalo is like 95 or something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We had um, um, a D2 student, Paul DeMarzo come last time. Yeah, Paul. No problem. Yeah. So you talked about, you know, how great Buffalo is and how it's not just in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> we get to ask him that. Okay. But, um, you know, that's what he said, but, yeah. um, yeah, so that small class is definitely like very attractive. Um, so oh, I'm going to switch gears here. Um, so is there any advice like you'd like to give pre-dental students in relation to like maintaining their academic life while also nourishing their like mental and emotional health? Yes. I know you're very, you're very adamant on that kind of thing. Yeah, I think there's this misconception that it has to be a stressful process. And I think combined with the perfectionist type A personalities that 
pre-dental people have, it's kind of a recipe for disaster because you may survive the dental school application process, but then when you add on the 20 different courses, all of that gets piled on. And if you don't start implementing those things or like as a pre-dental student, like while you're waiting for those interviews, like that is the best time to start working out, to start sleeping, quality sleep, um, meal prepping, all those things. So this is something that I always say. I started as a D1 in August and I was like, this is great. New life, new me, like that sort of vibe. And I was like, I'm going to start meal prepping. I'm going to start working out. I'm also going to like not procrastinate. I'm going to like, I have like literally a list of 20 things that I was like, I'm going to start now. And obviously with building habits, there's so many things that you just, you, you can't physically implement 20 new habits. So I would say during your gap year or coming into like the summer into dental school, that's the best time to do things that are important to you, but implement them strategically so that when you're starting in August, you're not like all of a sudden waking up and also like there's just too many things to do. Um, having a hobby, something that's really important to you is something that really helped me. And I think that people who do have hobbies in dental school do better than those who constantly say no to social activities to study. Because at the end of the day, that person may only get like four points higher on an exam than someone else. But then what happens is with every social activity you go to, you build connections, you build friends. And those are people who will have your back in clinic. You know, like I always think that every single thing that you do and where you put your energy, it has some sort of outcome down the line. Um, so you obviously don't want to do that just for that, but you find that through studying with friends, you gain those relationships and you can rely on more people and you have that support during those difficult times in dental school. Um, so I always say that, you know, first year, a lot of dental students say like, oh no, like I'm gonna focus first year on academics and then I'll get involved D2 year. And I'm actually like the opposite. Like I think you should get involved now because then you have your foot in the door and then you can go for like e-board positions and down the line. Like if you only become a member of an organization as a D2, then you're applying to residencies as a D3, right? Like you don't really have as much opportunity to get really deep into an organization. Um, so I just say, say yes, all of D1 year. Obviously there's a balance, right? But saying yes to social activities to like extracurricular activities. And then D2 is really when you start saying no to the things that didn't work for you and start saying yes to the things that you want to explore more. Um, and then D3 is like there and then you apply if you want to specialize or do residencies. And then D4 like doesn't actually exist because you're mentally checking out, you're taking boards. There's like, like it's a lot shorter than you think, um, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I don't know if I answered your original question. <laughs> I think like um there's people that will just study all day yes great great for them like it's great you should do that but also make some time to like be a human and just mm -hmm. do what you like to do like me personally I like to <clears throat> you know when I took orgo two, whatever I did I was taking the class like in fall semester but I made sure like at least three or four times a week I'd go play basketball at the rec just like with the with the boys you know just kind of release some stress you know mm -hmm. even if I was tired just go because I know it'll be a good time um, just kind of like bring yourself back down to, um, 
you know, give your brain a little rest break. Yeah. Just kind of give you some time, give some time to be social. Cause at the end of the day, like it all goes back to this whole um, being able to interact with other people as a dentist, right? It's all about social interaction, stuff like that. So if you get stuck in this, in this like book mentality 24 seven, it's not going to be good in the long, in the long run, I guess. Yeah, I completely agree. And yeah. And so on that kind of note of, you know, mental health and kind of remaining social, um, you know, I know that you do a lot of pre-dental mentorship and I guess just simple coaching, you know, <clears throat> you know, coaching where, you know, you, the students can reach out to you and kind of, you can put their mind at ease with whatever their, whatever obstacles they're facing. So how can students get involved and interact with these coaches that, you know, can ultimately help them mentally and physically, you know, throughout their undergraduate career and possibly even their dental school? Yeah, totally. So I think that one is just showing up. I think that every experience, you know, whether it be a dinner and learn, it's such a small world in dentistry that, you know, one random guest speaker comes in, you listen to them, and then that person may have, like, maybe friends with your future employer down the line. So I try to kind of make as many connections as possible and put yourself further and further out there. So I used to make myself like kind of like small goals. Like my goal today is like, I don't know, ask a random question in front of the whole, like whatever, just to like force myself to speak up, to practice raising my hand and saying something, even if it comes out weird or whatever it is, or um, I used to push the AGD members. We went to a conference all together and I was like, ask them a question after the class ends, like class ends, just ask them, say something. I don't know what it is, but you have to start practicing saying things. Um, and when it comes to mentorships, like those things are, no one is really going to be like, hello, I am looking for a mentor, someone that I can bring under my wing and like teach you everything like that doesn't happen. That is a very natural kind of um, progression. You Maybe you ask that professor a question and maybe that professor sends you an article that addresses that question. And it's, it's, it's like watering a plant. Like you can't just expect that like one professor is going to be your mentor, like for the, for the end of dental school type of thing. So showing up, I always say that, like, I know, especially the underclassmen, when they come to meetings and things like, I know who's always there. Like, even if it's on zoom, okay. Like, even if it's in person, I know there's like, Hey, that person has been there. Like a lot. So obviously that contributes to any discussion, whether like e-board members are choosing future people to go over, like to become president or whatever it is. Like those are considerations. Cause I'm always like, okay, like two people are running against each other or whatever. And I'm like, but that person has literally been to every single volunteering event. I'm like, that person has shown interest and initiative and helped out. And like, so I don't always, obviously I don't always choose, but it's kind of like, I notice it. So then next time an opportunity comes up, I'm always like, hey, so-and-so, there's this work study position that opens up. And that's kind of my way of like seeing who shows up, who sh puts in the effort and then giving them back something that, you know, I feel like they deserve. Um, so that is something really important in terms of going to conferences. I think that's huge, right? Um, if that's, especially when you're a student, everything is free. When you become a resident, everything's like $300. So I would say yes to as many as the events, um, national as events, like AGD, everything, you know, those are things where you meet someone 
like you're standing in line to get food. And I literally met the founder person of the Hispanic Dental Association. And then he was like, hey, like this and that. And now I literally, me and my friend just reach out to him and we're like, hey, when's the next CE course? We're like, these things are just like, they light me up. And I get so super excited when I meet people and I meet them again a year later. And then I feel more comfortable coming up to them. And that's kind of how you start fostering a relationship. Um, to address your mentoring question, I think uh, the reason why I'm super passionate about mentoring is like when I was applying, there were not this many resources. So like podcasts like this didn't really exist. There was like maybe a couple of YouTube people right now. There's like social media, Instagram pages. There's so many people willing and open to give advice and provide resources and everywhere from like pre-dental to like seasoned specialists. I think that is so much more available. So I kind of felt like I was kind of lost in the whole process. And I kind of wish I had someone who I can be like, hey, should I take this or this? Like, should I take this class? When should I take the DAT? And that's kind of the role that I kind of fulfill right now with some of the pre-dental students that I work with. Um, because a lot of it comes from accountability, right? So I'm sure people are like, yeah, I'm going to study. And then it's like a month goes by and you're like still not studying. So having someone who's going to give you like deadlines or checkpoints or check in with you, there's a little bit more accountability. And then students are able to kind of progress a little bit more strategically throughout the whole process. So that's something that I really like doing. Um, I've been working with pre-dental students like on a monthly basis, bi-weekly, whatever works for them because everyone's journey is super, super different. So some people have like high DATs and low GPAs and some people have high GPAs, but like haven't taken the DAT or maybe have taken it twice already. You know, like everyone is in such a different position that I feel like you need someone to kind of bounce those ideas. And I know like your whole belief is like, I guess, treat undergraduate as if you're preparing and building those habits to become a like as a dental student, not just get into dental school. Cause if you think of dental school as like end goal, yeah, that's not obviously it's not. But like, and people oh. said to me, they used to tell me like, oh, like the hardest part is getting in, and then everything is like easy because it's like really hard to get like kicked out. Like that was kind of the mentality. So I thought like I just gotta get in, and then like I'm good. No, like I really feel like you just have to start implementing other things, new skills. Um, <laughs> and the mental health part didn't come into my life until COVID. I think COVID was pretty much like. Of course, that was such a like a dark time frame for everyone. But from my life personally, I focused more on it and I realized how many things I've been neglecting because of dental school. And with the given time and being like literally stuck at home, I started to re-implement nutrition and like taking care of myself and doing yoga because back pain is so real in dental school, right? So I think for me, two years of dental school was like just going 200 miles per hour, just going, going, going and like studying and then forgetting everything that you studied, all that stuff. Mm. And then in COVID, I kind of like slowed down and I realized I don't want to do that thing that I keep saying yes to. And I want to focus more time on myself or, you know, saying no to those things. Mm -hmm. um, so this is not like I, I haven't always had a focus on wellness, I guess. It's been very recent. Right. So like kind of going on that, like how was your first couple of years of dental school? Can you, can you walk us through like D1 to D4? Like, how was it? Did, how'd you feel going into D1 year? And like, mm -hmm. what was, how was your progression? Like, 
Yeah, so I knew going in that clinically I was going to be stronger than didactically for sure because I knew that like classes like that, like biochem was difficult for me. And now you just do the same biochem, but in like two months instead, you know, um, I think the biggest thing with didactics is studying with someone. So I was able to find two friends who are like my closest friends. Now we used to make a schedule and, you know, like you have to do the math. Like if there's 20 lectures and the exam is in two weeks, you need to do 20 lectures divided by like eight days. And then, so you have time to do questions. So we kind of made a schedule so that, you know, coming into that study schedule, like you're going to the library and like, you know that if you didn't do those two lectures, you have nothing to contribute to your like group session type of thing. Um, and then slowly we would just like implement writing on the dry erase board and explaining each concept to one another. And I believe that when you can teach it to someone else, that's truly when you actually understand the concept and it's not just word recognition, right? Um, so that's like active recall because a lot of pre-dental students also like, oh, I did like one chapter on like plant biology. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like what did you learn? And then we're sitting there for like 60 seconds because they don't remember what they learned, even though they spent four hours learning it. Right. So the active recall is something that was really important for me to learn and studying with a friend was definitely something. Um, second year was rough because you're not just taking difficult courses. You're just taking like 20 different courses all at once. And I think, um, I listened to your first episode, um, where they was like, it's not like semester based, like you're not taking like three classes for four months. It's more like you take one class, it you take the exam, it ends and new one starts, but the other one is still ending. Like it's, you don't have that clear cut, like, okay, now I'm going to like start fresh. Like you don't have that. You're just constantly going. Um, and then clinic, I think you just start to re-implement different things um, and being okay with not knowing everything and being okay not doing everything perfectly. I think that's something that's really important. Um, I think it, things got better, definitely. But my first year, I would say was the hardest, actually. Yeah. So, you know, of course, you know, throughout dental school and probably undergrad too, like, you know, you might have run into some clinical and possibly academic failures um, and obstacles throughout throughout your career. So how, how, how did you approach them and how did you kind of overcome them? Like what, what methods did you use? Like, did you listen to anything? Did you just kind of, you know, got it out or did you find a way around it some other way? Yeah. Um, so I actually rely a lot of my like personal growth on like different podcasts. So I want to just like put a couple of things out there. So there's this one book, it's called how to win, how to influence people, how to win friends and influence people by Dale Carnegie. So that's something really good for interviews um, where he talks about like how to connect with someone in like a micro moment like you're standing in an elevator and like what can you say to kind of like find commonalities with someone and that's something that's really important for interviews so that's a side thing um for failures i actually started listening to the huberman podcast and basically what he talks about is motivation and failure and the way he says it is in order to be good at something let's say you have to fail 20 times it's like it's just that's just how it is like for example I remember second year, you're like probing. Probing is like literally the most easiest, like no harm done. Like, but when you're second year, you're just like, 
I can't see anything. I don't think I'm probing right. Like it feels like the end of the world. But when you do it five times, 10 times, 20 times, you gain that confidence. So just being okay with the fact that like, in order for you to feel confident and good at something, you need to do it badly, let's say 10 times. And once I started to really think about that, then I was just like, okay, I'm just going to do it one more time. And, and the more you do it, even if you're improving by like this much, you're getting somewhere like doing recalls as a second year was because like two and a half appointments, a total of eight hours technically. Right. And then by D4, it took us like half an appointment. Um, so it's almost just being focused on the fact that you almost have to do it bad until you get really good. Um, and then also this idea of clinical acceptable, clinically acceptable. So like when you're doing things in preclin, they want you to do like five millimeter, 1.5 millimeters by 1.5 millimeters. That's how big your prep is. But in real life, it's however big the cavity is, right? So like, you're not really going to be measuring yourself based on a certain measurement. You're going off your gut feeling and your visual and tactile feeling of how big this cavity is, right? So knowing that it doesn't have to be perfect, it just has to be good enough to not harm the patient. Like, and I think being okay with that is something that took us a very, very long time to kind of understand. Um, also, Atomic Habits is a really, really good book that made all the difference in terms of understanding like how I function and what habits I want to implement and things like that. Yeah. I think like, you know, your analogy of like feeling a bunch of times and eventually getting it right. Um, at, the end the, at the end of the day, like you are going to be the dentist. You, there's nobody that's going to look over your shoulder in your practice and be like, you have to do this, you have to do this. Yeah. It's kind of like you got to put on yourself that from all your training, all your failures, that mm -hmm. these are the best options for your patient. And like, and like, I've, I've always wanted to ask my, I don't know why I haven't asked him yet, but I've always wanted to ask the doctor I work with, like how, when was the point in your dental school journey where you knew this was the right option? Like sometimes he's talking about the options he can give a patient. I'm like, how do you know this is the best one? Like, how is this the best one? How mm -hmm. do you make the patient, how do you make the patient comfortable then knowing this is the best option for them? Like, how do you convince them? You know? So like, did you ever have, did you have like that moment? Like, I don't know. Just um, have that thought? I think it's, it's a little, so when you're working in clinic, the patient's motivation and priorities are important, right? So if I know my patient is just trying to get a crown, for example, then you want like, okay, I don't know what a, the better example would be, but I guess you have to prioritize what their priorities are, right? Is it that they can, they'd rather do more in one appointment or would they like, or do they have to pick up their daughter at like three o'clock? So you have 45 minutes with them. So like understanding why they're here and what's important to them is going, is inherently going to help you guide your treatment planning based on that. Um, so I had a patient who would come in in the morning and the afternoon, and I would like, she would have her PG perio appointment in the morning. And I would make her come in with me at two o'clock so that we did not make her drive two hours for each appointment. Like, and she felt really like help, like she was very happy with that and she trusted me more. And so we tried to expedite things in ways that I wouldn't do for someone else who's like not down to spend the whole day with me to do dentistry. Like, you know what I mean? Um, and the other thing that I, in terms of failures that I just thought about is 
I, I hope this doesn't sound weird, but for my crowns in dental school, like I somehow survived with like all of them, like fitting. Right. Okay. And obviously at the time I was like, oh, like it's so great. Like I didn't have to make any adjustments, blah, blah, blah. And like, that was great. That's wonderful. I was able to graduate. Like I wasn't really stressed with like the graduation requirements, but now that I'm in residency and I am taking over cases and a crown doesn't fit, I'm like, I kind of wish one of my crowns in dental school did not fit so that I knew how to troubleshoot those scenarios. And a lot of times when you make those mistakes as a dental student, you are so much more, it's so much more vivid in your mind so that every time, like if you forgot to do something next time, you're like, oh, I can't forget to do that. And if those things, if those unfortunate failures don't happen to you, then you're not as aware of those things, right? Um, so that's something that I felt like I had to learn and I had to learn through like other people, like someone was like, oh, my crown didn't fit. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, what did you do? Like, did you use the occlude spray? Like, did you use fit checker? Because I never physically had to do that, which is like, again, very grateful that my crowns fit, but I didn't get that experience of learning how to fix it, which I think is very valuable. Like, I almost feel like it should be like, one crown has to not fit your denture has to not have enough retention so that you know how to fix those because now i'm figuring it out in residency and i think um so like right in my office there's a couple doctors there and i know most of the time um they're able to figure it out by themselves like like probably like 90 95 percent mm-hmm. yeah but there's always a couple of patients where they ask someone else ask one of the doctors to come in and take a look and like that's when you kind of see these heads colliding like they even though they're maybe five six years out of dental school mm-hmm. and residency stuff they still need to um have those failures like not failures but they need to experience someone else's failures yeah they need to consult with somebody who has had the opportunity to fail before and know what to do so they can show right. them like, what's going on so it kind of like relates to what you're yeah, saying absolutely yeah yeah so like another question all i have is you know i mean we ask all of our guests this just because uh, it's very inter- interesting to me. So how did it feel going from Typhodons and like those mannequins that, you know, we see dental students practice on on Instagram pages. to like an actual person, actual human being, like what, what were those feelings like? And, you know, how'd you kind of approach that? Yeah, it's really scary, but I think this comes to like, I definitely want another piece of advice, like pre-clan it's like a running joke, but like indirect vision, right? So like everyone's like, you should practice indirect vision, like whatever. But when you're at an exam or you're taking your CDCA boards, we're all hunched over. We're, we're all looking like this, like, because you don't want to fail your exam because you're like mirrors, not, you know, but now that I'm doing real dentistry and I want to preserve my back and I want to have a long career and whatnot, I really wish that I just forced myself that I would just come in on the weekend and be like, I cannot do direct vision. I have to use the mirror. Like I should have pushed myself more. So this is kind of an advice for everyone going forward. I know that in the moment you just want to like you just want to look and you, and you don't really prioritize your own back and neck for that moment. But I think that I kind of wish I did. Right. Um, and then going from type it on to where everything is all perfect to going clinic to the clinic where, you know, your class twos, they don't have a perfect contact, right? Like the teeth are all 
rotated. And now you're just like, wait a second, I only know how to put the V3 matrix on when there's like a perfect contact. So now you kind of, you don't feel prepared. Like you never really feel prepared. Um, and then now in residency, no one is telling me like, oh, that's a cavity because most of the time in dental school, you do, you go through the motions and the attending is like, okay, you're going to do a 2DO and you, you write down 2DO. Did I see that 2DO prior to presenting this to the faculty? Like, no, you, you know, and there's always, we always laugh about this. So many moments where they ask you what your findings are and you're like, oh, there's a cavity on this, this, this. And then they're like, oh, and you saw the thing on 18 occlusal and you're like, yeah, 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 totally did. Like, and then you write it down and you're like, what? Like, I thought that was just like normal anatomy. Now in residency, no one is checking it for you. So I'm treatment planning. I'm going with it. I'm hoping I'm doing it right. And I, and I again, hope that down the line, like maybe I missed some decay, let's say. But then I start writing the note and I was like, wait, I missed that. So then I had to call the patient back after I told them that they didn't have any cavities and be like, actually, I was looking a little bit more into the radiographs and I do see something that's questionable. So I do need you to come in. So it's like, did I mess up? Yeah, I feel like I probably should have seen that. But at the same time, like now no one's really checking that for you and you kind of have to be okay with making those clinical decisions, which is something that I'm working on right now. Um, but I would really, as a dental student, try really to try making those decisions yourself and then being like, do you agree, doctor? As opposed to just them being like, that one needs a crown and not asking why. Why does that one need a crown and not an MOD amalgam or an MOD onlay, inlay, whatever? Those are the questions that I never really asked in dental school and I feel like I should have. Because um, in dental school, you're just you're like, oh, can I have the PVS? And you see everyone else is using the green one. So you're like, oh, can I have the green one? But you don't really understand why you're using the green one, the heavy body over the medium body, you know? Um, sorry, I know for the pre-dental students, it might not be as like, because it's a little bit more technical, but the whole point of it is just to kind of get the most out of the dental school experience, yeah. Yeah, I know you're talking like really like beyond. I know, yeah. But, you know, but still, but like, it all goes, it all goes back to that central question, like, ask why, you know, even if like, it even goes back to like shadowing or something. Even if you shadow, like I know I shadowed a lot before I started assisting. Yeah. Like, in the beginning, I was kind of hesitant to like ask the doctor what's going on. Like, what's this? What's that? Just cause like it's new to you. You just kind of want to see a little bit, but you realize yeah. that like when you're shadowing, you don't see a lot cause they're crowding the area. So you got to, yeah. you're, it's either you you're forced to ask the question or you just go home and you have no idea what the yeah. hell is happening. Yeah. Right. And if you ask the question, maybe you can build a relationship with the doctor. So like asking why goes like a long way. Um, mm -hmm. So it's definitely like if you practice that like in undergraduate or even if you're in high school right now, if you practice it in high school, undergraduate, whatever, um, then you can you probably be more comfortable asking it while you're like in dental school. Right. So um, and it also applies to like classes too. like why does this have why does this reaction or go happen? So I had no idea. Sometimes I had to ask why to mm -hmm. just get a better idea. So like you know, you touched on residency a little bit. So I just kind of want to ask a little bit more, like how was your process getting into residency? And now you're like in D3 or you apply residency? Yeah. So you apply right before you become a D4. So during that summer, okay. um, it's very similar to applying to dental school. So for anyone who thinks it's over and the D, okay. 
for anyone who thinks the DAT is the last like big exam they take lies okay so you have to take board exams um and then if you want to do like fellowships or there's there's just always more and I think having an understanding that that's the reality is going to be step one um in terms of applying it looks just like adsess it literally same layout same idea stuff but now you're just applying to residency programs and there's still a personal statement they're still going to ask you why do you want to pursue residency and you can't really recycle the same personal statement obviously but it's the same process of like spending time writing up your like cv and like all the things that you've done so it never really ends and i don't mean that in like a sad kind of way but it's kind of like you get to do this process again but you get to be better at it with more experience um and i actually i did a lot of research so during covid there was a lot of webinars panels, things like that. I, I literally had a conversation. Every single program that I applied to, I had talked to someone from that program who, who graduated or something like that because I wanted to get real life experience with like their, how happy they were. Little things like with dental school, something I didn't mention is you wanna, like if you wanna specialize or not, you can go to a school that doesn't have postgrad programs, right? So if you go to one of those schools, then you get to do more as a dental student, but you don't get to see the different specialties in action. So at Stony Brook, we have every single specialty. So we have rotations where we hang out with the perio residents, we hang out with the OS residents, you know, peds, things like that. That's good, but you don't do as much as many root canals because the endo residents are doing them, right? So these are all really good questions to ask yourself. Do you want to do more? Like if you want to go into GP for sure, I would say maybe go to a program that has no PG programs, right? Because you get to do more complex things yourself. If you know you want to go into an OS, for example, you want to start putting your door, uh, your foot through the door and gain those mentorships with those OS attendings who will then potentially take you into their OS program. So same thing with residencies, you kind of have to understand what types of things you're looking for. So I was looking to place implants. That's something that's really important to me. I want to get, like, I'm not trying to become a implant surgeon, but I want to get those things in a residency setting where it's okay to, you know, have someone else see what you're doing. I wanted to have endo, I wanted to have certain things and I did not want to see kids. Okay, like love kids, love playing with them, but I, that is not kind of what I plan on doing. And so that's why I ranked a lot of like VA programs. So I applied to a lot of VA programs and that's something, you know, there's no kids. But at the same time, there's no um, wisdom tooth extractions, right? So if you're trying or not as much, obviously. So there's always pros and cons to different things that you're looking for. You just have to know what you want. Um, So that's kind of the whole spiel on residencies. It's the same thing. You have to do your research, you interview, you have to have a CV, personal statement. It's really the same thing if you choose to do a residency. Awesome. So Dr. Kim, why did you choose general practice residency over specializing in another specialty? Yeah. Um, So I think the things that I really like doing, I see myself teaching at some point down the line, and I like being the orchestrator when it comes to a patient, right? So a patient comes in, let's say they have perio disease. 
I don't feel like I need to be the person to treat their perio disease because then I can't really do their endo and I can't really do their other things, right? I like this idea of understanding the whole treatment plan and I'm perfectly okay doing the things that I feel comfortable doing and then sending them to the specialist that could give them the, the high quality care that they need. But then down the line, they still come back to me for that recall for, for all of the other dentistry. And I think you get a little bit more relationship building with them. So it's kind of like you're delegating. I like that. Um, you're orchestrating their whole treatment plan and you're working with other team members. And then of course, I think with general, you can do the things that you're trained to do. So if down the line, I do an implant fellowship, for example, I hope I would feel comfortable placing some of the straightforward cases. I'm not going to be doing some crazy stuff, but I think that being a specialist is actually limiting in a way where you can only do those things. Like if you go into endo, you won't necessarily be prepping crowns or whatever. And I like a little bit of everything. Um, so that's kind of, and I wanted to do more complex procedures that Stony Brook or any dental schools don't really give you. Um, so that's kind of why I wanted to do a GPR. Um, but I think everyone's is super different. If you can see yourself doing endo every single day and like that super excites you, that's awesome because there's a lot of instant gratification when it comes to endo people, you just get them out of pain and they're like really happy with you. And that's great. Um, but I think for general practice, I can see myself building that relationship and having them like come back to me each time to, to move along that process. Yeah. Yeah. So have you had those experiences like so far? I know you just graduated, right? Like a couple months ago. Yeah, yeah. So, um, have you? How has your experience residency been so far? Like, when what's your schedule throughout the day? Like, how does it? You know. Yeah. How, so, how is I mean, when I was talking about the transition, it has been rough. Like, I'm not gonna lie. I was going into residency thinking that it's gonna be a seven forty-five to four fifteen kind of day, and then you're done, and then you go and like you do your thing, you focus on your wellness, that sort of thing. So right now, this past month it takes a really long time to learn the new system. You're not using Axiom anymore. Like all the systems are really different and you're writing notes in a different way because it's like you feel more accountability and responsibility for the treatment that you, you do. So we don't do lab work. We don't like have to do some of like the stupid things that dental students have to do. Sure. But at the same time, there's a lot more to be done. So I think that my GPR, you know, I've done biopsies, we've done Botox. Um, it's very OS heavy. So I get a chance to like do those things myself. Typically that in other cases, it would go straight to the OS resident. So our program, basically we work with OS residents who are fifth years, second and fifth years at Penn. Um, so I take on the patient, I start extracting or doing whatever, but if I have any questions or someone needs to bail me out, there is someone to do that for me. So it's not like you get to try it, but you also have the safety net of someone helping you. Right. Um, so I don't feel like they're like stealing cases. It's a very like natural progression. People just like see different patients. Um, I've done more endo than I've done in the four years of dental school. And I've done more um, extractions that I've done in the fourth year of dental school. Like things move a lot faster. Um, with that said, right now, it's a crazy transition. You're, all, you're on call a lot of times and you're doing things that you don't know like you were never formally trained to do some things but through repetition you just get a little bit better each time so no one's going to teach you exactly how to do an incision and drainage but 
after the third time, you kind of understand how to do it and you do it. Yeah. Um, so how was the, um, I think you mentioned like, do you have to, you have to schedule your own patients, right? For dental school or for residency? For, for, for now, like for residency now. Yeah. So it's a little bit different with the VA system. So the VA system throughout all of the VAs in the US, they use a special system. It is a little bit archaic, to be honest. And it, there's a huge learning curve in terms of how to use it. The good thing, though, is that it in- integrates their whole medical everything. So you know the last time they saw their neurologist. You know the last time they got their blood work done. So you don't have to call the PCP and be like, hey, Mr. Jones came in, like, can you tell us what's going on? You have all that information. So that's really good. Um, but with that said, there's a lot of like learning in terms of like the, the system that they use in general. Um, I forget, what was your question? Sorry. Um, like in terms of residency and like scheduling patients. So yes, we schedule patients, but there's also a front desk who does that for you and you have your own assistant. So okay. you're not yeah like not like dental school right um so like what's i don't know just last part of our residency yeah yeah yeah. what's like the most interesting thing you've seen so far it's been a couple months but like what's maybe most interesting but also most challenging thing that you've had to face um Yes, with the veteran population how medically complex they are right so in dental school when you do extractions, it's very clear cut. Like if their blood pressure is like a certain amount, like extraction gets canceled. If they have diabetes and their like lab values are too high, you can't extract the tooth. Here, it's like everyone is so medically complex that the limits of what you can do is a little bit more doable like you still have to provide that treatment but you just have to be able to manage what happens with that right that's not something that I'm used to in dental school because you would have like one person that came in with hypertension or one person that had diabetes and it was like the biggest thing ever um and you they sit in your chair and you just hope their like blood pressure is controlled enough here with the veteran population I feel like they're just so medically complex that it's so difficult to kind of there's some people who've had cancer there's so many different patients that have had cancer um again so many biopsies to be done i don't have like a necessarily like one big case that i thought was particularly challenging because it's so early on that i can't really see the progression of their treatment plan just yet um but i think just I'm a little the challenge to me is managing a patient that's so medically complex that normally we would not see as pre-docs. So I never had the opportunity to manage a patient like that. Um, so there's definitely lots to learn from that standpoint. So all I'm hearing is there's just never ending learning and you just have to keep going. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a very good way to summarize it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So, I mean, the audience should know that you do offer like one-on-one mentoring and tutoring advice uh, about, you know, pre- the pre-dental process and, um, you know, everything about the pre-dental process. So how can students get in touch with you? And, you know, if they have any further questions, or if they just want to start a connection with you. Yeah, totally. So Instagram would be the best place. So um, it is dr.dianakim.dds. And I have a link there. So basically what I like to do is do like a 30 minute intro session where students can just tell me like what's going on. And I can give them like my feedback, like just tangible action items. 
that I think can be addressed. And if they're kind of into the way that, you know, we talk through things or if they get benefit from it, then we can set up something that's a little bit more like bi-weekly or monthly. And every single person's mentoring is so different. There's some people that I check in every Sunday. Hey, how's it going? Like, what's the progress report? What are your DAT scores look like? And then there's some people who we only really focus on like the stress component of applying. There's some people that we just sit down for an hour and we just edit their application. And I try to like put in synonyms of words that are stronger than just what, you know, the pre students are coming up with, because I think you undervalue yourself when you use not strong words because everyone's assisting, but there's a way to kind of describe it in a way that catches other people's eyes. Um, so everyone is like super different. There's not really like a structured way of doing it, but like monthly, bi-weekly. Um, and then some people do like a six month thing where from January to June, we meet once a month. And that way, like January, we talk about like letters of rep. February, we only do like DAT prepping, like what the game plan is and then like March we only do like personal statement that way it kind of pushes the person to go along the timeline and be ready for that June submission date and then interview prep you know stuff like that yeah and yeah we'll definitely put um <clears throat> like your socials in our on our posts on Instagram too so like if people want to reach out to her you definitely can um so yeah that's kind of all we have to discuss today um so that concludes this episode of those dental podcast um, thank you, Dr. F Dr. Kim, for joining us and sharing your experiences and advice. Your insight was definitely valuable to Anusha and I, and we hope that it'll be the same for our pre-dental listeners. Um, everyone, please, please feel free to reach out to Dr. Kim and our socials, which we'll put on our Instagram posts if you have any further questions. And we thank everyone for listening. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to follow us on Instagram and Spotify at Podcast Now. And we'll see you next time for another Dental.